Ephesians, uh, just for a moment or two. Ephesians chapter 2. So the letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2. I want to speak um, about coming out of the graveyard into God's grace. The grace yard. Out of the graveyard into the grace yard is a title that I'm going to be speaking on this morning based around Ephesians chapter 2. And the way that I'm going to approach this is... uh, from verses 1 to 10, I'm going to take each verse as it comes. This might be a little bit different. You might not be quite so used to the way that I'm going to speak upon this this morning and take certain key phrases from those verses. So rather than just take a general theme and speak on it, or a couple of points and speak on that, this morning I'm going to take the 10 verses that you were about to look at and unpack them verse by verse. So it might feel a little bit unusual, you know, maybe not quite used to this, but Stay with me. We're going to explain and look at this together in the next few moments. And um, so verse, chapter 2, verse 1 reads like this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them Um, At one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show his, the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Out of the graveyard, into the grace yard. And what we see here is, if you can remember, a few weeks ago, I was speaking on, uh, in chapter 1, Paul's prayer, and he prayed that the eyes of your heart might be opened. He prayed that God might be revealed to people, just like you and me. And if you can remember, several weeks ago, we were looking at that, open heart, open heaven, and how Paul speaks in a prayer um, that we really might see God. God might really truly be revealed to us and our hearts be opened. Now, in chapter 2, he elaborates on that prayer. He prayed for their hearts to be opened, and now he illustrates all that can be seen in God. And that's where we're going to go for the next few moments. He illustrates all that God has achieved, where he's taking us from as Christians and where we now are as Christians. And how amazing is that? And so that's where we're going to go in the next few moments. Are you alive or do you exist? Are you alive or are you existing? Are you alive or are you existing? Some years ago, quite a few years ago, I was awoken. We lived in Aberdeen in Scotland. And in the flat that we lived, uh, next to the flat that we lived, it was a fishing village on the outskirts of Aberdeen. 
And in this flat, we lived in the middle floor of, of, a, of a, an upper flat. There was a hill that went up beside the flat. And about three o'clock in the morning, I was awoken. And as I sort of looked out of the window, I was awoken by... A, it, everything was quiet around in the early hours of the morning. But there was this one man singing at the top of a voice. He was as drunk as they could be. And he was on his knees climbing and staggering, got up and fell down, climbing up the hill. It was the sort of hill that you could walk up, but he was clawing his way up the hill. And as I watched him, I'd woke up at this thing, I watched out the window and watched him. The thought struck me. The guy that I was looking at wasn't living. He was just existing. I looked at this man, and it wasn't that I felt all proud at being a Christian and how terrible was that. I felt welling up within me, not a disgust because I'd been woke up, but something amazing that I felt, a real sense of God's love to think. There was this man thinking he had had a good time and was having a great night, and it woke me up in the early hours of the morning too, crawling up the hill, and to me, I felt as if the Holy Spirit had gripped my heart and said, look at this, Adrian, this is existence, this isn't life, this isn't truly living. And I really set in my heart at that time to commit my life to letting people know about God and how we can truly live. And in the few years ahead in the church that Helen and I were involved and we pioneered, we saw a lot of people get released from alcohol addiction and drug addiction. And some daddies really be released to their families, some dads who were alcoholics, got released to live lives with their families. Got their, some children got their dads back. Some wives got their husbands back. And some dads got their children back. As they not only sobered up, but they learned to live a brand new, amazing life. We saw a lot of people converted out of alcohol addiction during those days when we lived in a community that was gripped by something. So we can live. And the point of the message is this. In this passage that we're about to look at, we can see a new life in Christ where not only do you exist in life, but you can really live life. Live an amazing life, an incredible life in God. And Paul illustrates a life that can be lived in Christ. Not just existed, but an existence, but an amazing life. And it's that that we want to look at this morning as we look at this together. And so we have a choice to truly live or exist. I don't know about you, but you have a choice. There is a choice in life to exist or to live. To live for God and live in God and live in Christ and know the love of God and the freedom of God in your life or to just exist in life. And there's a whole myriad and millions and billions of people that are now living in God and choosing to live in God. And yet there are millions and if not billions of people existing on the face of our planet. We have an amazing message to share about life in God to be able to live a fresh new life in Christ. And so he gives a picture here. It's a stark picture. First of all, the graveyard. And then I want to speak about the grace yard, the life that we can live in. But he says, first of all, you're dead. Now look at this, first of all, the graveyard then. This is where we've come from. This is what the world lives in and doesn't realize. And if you are not a Christian, this is the world we live in. But as a Christian, we've been taken from. Just turn with me to verse 1. It says that, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Dead. You were dead. Have you ever met someone and you talk about God 
and you chat about God and somebody says, I just don't get it. Have you, ever, have you, have you talked till you're blue in the face and you just, you'll speak with somebody and they'll say, this God thing, I, you know, he doesn't exist. What are you on about? How, how do you know this? I just don't get what you're on about. I don't get what you're on. And the reason being is that we are, it's something that's to be revealed. And what Paul says here is that in the old life, you were dead to God. It's as if you were dead, spiritually dead. We need to be enlivened to come brought to life in him. And you can argue till you're blue in the face with somebody. And we looked at this a few weeks ago. God needs to be revealed. The lights get switched on. The heart is opened. And he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And you can argue till you're blue in the face. The key is to pray that the lights get switched on. That the heart is opened. But that's where you and I were. We were dead to God. So this is why people will say, God doesn't live. God doesn't exist. It's a fairy story. Because they're deadened. Their hearts are closed. Their minds are darkened. And Paul says, you were dead in your transgressions. The word transgressions and sin there. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. What does it mean, transgressions and sins there? The word transgression literally means... Um, to a false step or to cross the boundary. Another word literally means this, to be in trespass. The word trespass or transgression. So it literally means this. As for you, you were dead. You'd made a false step. You crossed the boundary. It's like this, where you see a sign that says, keep off the grass. What do you do? You walk on it. Is something in human nature. And to transgress, to trespass, means to walk on something that you shouldn't be or to step out of an area that you shouldn't step. God puts boundaries in life. Boundaries for life. There's an amazing um, series uh, that people are watching today. It's called Just Ten. And it looks at the boundaries that God puts for life so that you can live a great life. And a man called J. John, who's a great communicator, a, a, a funny guy, talks about how God has given the Ten Commandments, but he's given ten boundaries for life. Not because he's a killjoy, not because God doesn't like human beings, because he loves human beings, he puts a hedge. You know, as a dad and as a parent, you know, you have a, a gate, and when your children are playing in the garden, you'll keep the gate closed. You don't want your children to go outside that gate because they might go into the road and get run over. And God puts gates or boundaries in life so that we don't step outside of them because we'll get hurt. And so in a marriage relationship, there's certain things that you do and you don't so that you don't get hurt. There's certain things in our relationship in life and with children. There's certain things that we can live a great life. And so to trespass, to transgress, means to step outside the boundaries. To step outside God's best for our lives. So literally, so we were dead. So every human being on the face of the planet finds himself spiritually deadened to God, stepping outside very often. Even good people. You know, you can be a great person. And this is what Paul says. He says, you were dead in your transgression, stepping outside the boundary, and sins. You know, there used to be an, an old-fashioned term today. Today it would be classed as an old-fashioned term to live in sin. 
Don't hear that term anymore. Someone says, I'm not a sinner. I'm not a bad person. How dare you say that about me? That's for murderers. That's for someone terribly evil. But to sin, the word sin there is a, is a particular term, and it means this, to fall short or miss the target. It was used in the days when you would take an arrow and you would aim it at a target. And when the arrow fell short, hamatia, to sin, it would fall short. And so to sin is to fall short, to miss the mark or to miss the target of life. God sets life in motion, the creator of the universe. He says, this is the way of life. Live in it. Walk in it. And human nature very often falls short or misses that boundary or that target that God sets for life. And so everyone, there's no one human being who doesn't fall short in some degree and in some way. Not one. And so therefore all fall short. And so he says, therefore you are lost. He paints a really horrible picture in the graveyard, dead to God, falling short, lost. And then he goes on to say this, look at this a bit further, the way of the world in which you live, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. There is an influence in the world in which we live to follow the ways of this world. So Paul says you were dead to God. You were living outside his boundaries straying aside of the best plans that God has for life so that you can live a great life, missing, falling short of the mark that God has set for life, the standard of life to live a great life. And you came under the influence of this world, he says, the influence of this world. What he means there is a world that lives outside of God, a world that sets its standards and says that there is no God. There is no God There are no standards. We set our own standards. This is a world without God. Society without God. This is what he's saying there. You know, one of the greatest challenges that our politicians face today is that they will set policies not based on a particular standard or an ideal, but it appears today that our policies and standards are set by what we would call popular opinion and culture. And so today what is acceptable, and so our government will poll people, and X, Y, and Z, so let's say something like now, gay marriage is acceptable today. What was not acceptable is acceptable today. So what we find is that the way of the world, culture without God, the opinion of life Without God, which is the way of this world, even our politicians now sample the culture of our world. I just want to say to you, the greatest challenge that you will face at school, college, work, I will face in life, the government that we now have in the Western world and life, the greatest challenge we now face is the way of this world. It's the greatest challenge that we face. It's a world without God. It's policy set by the standards of the world around us. And so you find things changing. What wasn't acceptable is acceptable now. And I can tell you what's not acceptable now 
in a few months or few years' time will be acceptable then. We have a shifting, changing standard of the ways of this world. And many of those things are not necessarily good. We live in a great country. I think I live in a great country. I thank God for the freedoms I have. You know, I'm not going to knock our politicians to pieces. I think they do the best job that they try to do, many of them. I think it's very commendable. But we live in a country that does not follow the ways of God. It's fact. It's truth. And will continually follow the ways of this world. And so Paul says, you were influenced by the ways of this world. Popular culture. You watch. Our government is making decisions not in their manifesto, but based on popular culture. That's what's happening. And it will take all your energy. I tell you, it's going to take all my energy to stand up and say, no, I'm not going to conduct a certain thing that you're asking me to do. Not because I'm anti this or I'm homophobic, because I'm not. God loves everyone. But there are certain things that God sets the way of our world. And you will face certain things. But it only goes on to say, not only the ways of this world, but the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is at work in those who are disobedient. And so he says there is an influence. There is the way of this world. We're influenced by culture and popular culture. But also there's also someone within that influence. The ruler of the kingdom of the air. The Amplified and the New American Standard says the prince of the power of the air. The prince of the power of the air is the devil. The devil, the devil, Satan, Lucifer, whatever name. You know, some years ago, there was a terrible thing happened in our country. Uh, in Scotland, there was um, uh, some killings in a place called Dunblane, where a man went on the rampage and killed terribly a number of, uh, quite a number of children in a school hall and some teachers. And at the time, it was said, where was God? Where was God? I remember it come on the news. Somebody said, where's God in all of this? And I think it was a, a teacher or someone associated with the school said this. Evil walked in to the school hall that day. Evil walked in. You know, we want to blame God for many things. But there is a personality, not just a power. Star Wars said, let the force be with you. But Paul talks about a personality of evil, evil intent. It's called the prince and power of, this, of the air. Or the kingdom of this air. The word prince there literally refers to an angelic being. In the book of Daniel chapter 10, talks, uh, the archangel Michael speaks of the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. And Michael, your prince. And the word prince there, or power of the air, refers to an angelic being. And that angelic being is the devil, who is a fallen angel. We read in the Old Testament that God threw Lucifer out of heaven. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall as lightning. And so he fell to the powers of the air. That's the, the, the air that, of, of this earth. And so there is influencing. A bit like a puppet, a puppeteer pulling the strings to some degree. Not a god, but a powerful angelic being. It's called devil, Lucifer. I don't know if that shocks you. For some of us, it might be a new idea. For others of us, we might understand this. But there is a puppeteer pulling the strings and behind the strings called the prince of the power of this air. So there's the way of this world and the prince of the power of the air, a puppeteer pulling the strings behind the scenes called Lucifer, the devil, the angel of light. And we came under that influence. We were in the graveyard. 
But the good news is, is we can come into the grace yard. And with this, we're going to take communion in a moment or two. The good news is we can come into the grace yard. Because of that, because of this background that we've come from, dead to God, come under the influence of this world, come under the influence of the devil. It says we, we are disobedient, following our own desires, our cravings of our own nature. Therefore, we're doomed. And it says that we come under the wrath of God, the anger of God. God is a loving God, almighty God, gracious God. But it says there that because of these things and because we follow our own way and don't go God's way, we come under the wrath of God. There, verse 3. Objects of his wrath. That word wrath, it literally means this righteous anger and indignation. It doesn't mean just anger based on arbitrary anger, it's righteous anger and indignation with sin. Not people. God loves people. God made people. He loves you and me. And there's a, there's a difference in that. And so we would come under the wrath of God. That's because God is 100% good. I don't know about you. I can't understand this. I'm not 100% good, nor are you 100% good. But God is 100% good. He's true and true and through and through good. Now, it's difficult to conceive. So just hang in there with me just for a second. Because the wrath of God is a difficult thing to conceive for a moment or two. And you don't hear many people talk about it. And some might want to lynch me for talking about it. But I'm going to talk about it because it's there before us. And I'm going to explain what the wrath of God is. And it's amazing to know that I am now no longer under the wrath of God, which is a great mercy that I can see in a moment or two. The wrath of God, because God is 100% good, because God is 100% righteous and true, good through and through, he cannot look or be in, he's so light, cannot be, there can be no darkness with God. Where there is light, there can be no darkness. Therefore, God, it says, the Bible says, cannot look upon any darkness. He cannot look upon any sin, unrighteousness. And because of that, all humanity who has some unrighteousness within us, God cannot look upon us and we're under his righteous indignation with the sin that is in me. But God loves me and God loves you and that's why he sent his one and only son for you so very much. And we came under his wrath, but now we've come under his love all wrapped up in Jesus Christ's Son. So we could have existed, only existed in a terrible world. But now today we come under his grace and we've come into the grace yard. God's great love. In verse 5 we read these words. But because of his great love for us. Now we paint a pretty gloomy picture up to this point, And I can understand you thinking to yourself, get me out of here. How about have a happy day? I'm set up for the week now. But now look at this. Look at this now because it's not all doom and gloom. There is a great joy. And this is why I'm so thankful that God loves me and God loves you and God loves us. And God loves this world. And we've got a great message to tell the world. They don't have to just exist. They can truly live in love. Look at this. It says, now, but now. What the best but in all of the universe is this. But because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our trespasses, transgressions. It's by grace that you have been saved and God has raised you with Christ and seated you within the heavenly realms. We are made alive with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, through faith in him. Today, 
If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to God, God has made your life. He's forgiven you for the sin that you've lived this morning. Goes on to say, he seated us with him. We're in the same position with Jesus, the right hand with him in our hearts and lives. We're not positioned in the dirt and the dust, but we're positioned in heaven. And that's why we need to know where we are. If you're a Christian, if you've asked God's forgiveness, if you've accepted the love of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for my sin and your sin, therefore he's then, God has raised you right now and seated you in the heavenly places, no longer to just live, but to, to, but to exist, but now so that we can live. And so he says, you are now in Christ. And this is a great mercy of God. And so he uses this term, you are now you and I are objects of grace. The word grace there is by grace that you've been saved from death, now into life. Saved from gloom and doom, now raised into heaven and seated in the heavenly places with God. And have at our disposal all of the love, all of the forgiveness, all of the mercy of God that is released in heaven, now can be released in your life and my life here on earth, right now. And so we can live, not, not you know, with a big, Heavy black Bible under your arm. If you've got a big, heavy black Bible, that's all right. But, you know, and, and, um, and, and you, know, you know, the worse we feel, the better it is as a Christian. And the more it hurts, the better it's going to be. No pain, no gain, they say, when you're exercising. And they can say sometimes as a Christian. But I think it's not, it's not the case. It's a great life. It's a life to laugh and live and love and grace. And it says, by grace you are saved. The word grace means this, unmerited favor. There's nothing that you and I could do or work. It's no matter how bad you've been or how good you've been. That's not the point here. I want to say to you, it's no matter how bad you've been. I've met some bad people. I knew a bad guy in Aberdeen. It would have taken 15 policemen to hold him down. Helen and I knew this guy. I was frightened of this guy. He threatened me. He was going to kill me, but he became a Christian because our church that we were pioneering prayed for him. His name was George White. George White was well known in Aberdeen. The police were out to get him. When he became a Christian, they couldn't believe it. Police, the police, he would actually greet them in the street. They were all ready to hold him down. He was a bad man. But this man, no matter how bad he'd been, and he'd done some evil things and cut people up and done bad stuff, God saved him and loved him because of grace, unmerited favor. To me, that's scandalous, but to God, it's his love. Now, this man was a changed man, and you can be changed. You and I change people. No matter how bad you've been or how good you are, grace is unmerited favor. You can't work or do anything but just receive God's love and forgiveness. Unmerited favor would be Helen and I saying, come on over to our place, all of you. The food's on us. I'm not saying that, by the way. (laughs) I'm not saying that. Not that I don't mean it sincerely from my heart. This isn't a very good illustration. Because I can't come up with the goods. Only my wife can do all of that. But unmerited favor is just like giving us everything. Giving you absolutely everything. God's love, mercy, forgiveness, favor, friendship with God. And I could never have earned it. I couldn't. Do you know what? I was lost. No matter how good we think we are, how bad we think we are. And this is what Jesus has done for us. And so God says, you now, from existence, 
Now I'm going to bring you to live. Do you want to live? Do you want to live? Live a life of love, forgiveness, a life of mercy, a a great life, a new life. And he says this. This is a gift. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up in Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. So when Jesus was raised from the dead, you can go to Israel. There's no tomb. Can't find him buried because he's not there. Why? He's raised from the dead, thank God. Difference to any other faith on this planet. Jesus is alive. And so when God raised him up, he says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is going to raise you and me up too. Amazing. He says he seated us with him in the heavenly realms. So where Jesus is seated with all authority and power, I'm not worried about my country. I'm not worried about what my government does and doesn't do. Not I'm fatalistic, but I know that God's power is all powerful. We've just got to just connect with God. We've got to line up our hearts with God. We've got to seek God. We've got to live for God. If we live for God, seek God, line up our hearts with God, it's going to be great. We'll go well. Life will go well because all power is his. Jesus says, in order in the coming ages, he might show these incomparable riches of grace expressed in the kindness in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works. God's gift to you and me is his love, mercy, and forgiveness. What do we do with it? Not like that unwanted Christmas gift, I hope, that you trade back in or you leave in the box or you put in a cupboard, but you unwrap the gift and live it today. That's God's gift. is a gift of mercy. He says this is a gift. Why? So that you and I can't boast. So as a Christian, I can't go around and go, oh, there isn't... Look at the state of the world. Look at the state of them. When I looked out that window and I saw this guy on his hands and knees crawling up the hill, I did not go. At first, I was a bit angry because he woke me up. But once I got to and I felt the Holy Spirit speak, it wasn't, wasn't a case of, look at him. It was, but for the grace of God. Thank you, God. I felt a real sense of love and mercy. You know, God's gift is so that we can't boast. We can't go around saying, look how great we are. But God says, how great is God? Haven't we got a great God? How great is our God? You know, we don't talk about these things so much today. Therefore, we don't realize where we've come from. And now we don't, and we know, we know where we've come from, death. But now you know what we've come into, life. If you're a Christian, God has given you life. Finally, it says there in verse 10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared for us in advance. Grace gives. You don't just sit on the back row and in that seat and say, I've got mercy. Grace, grace gives. It says you've been prepared to do. Isn't it amazing? He says it's not of works, so you can't boast. And now he says, but you've been prepared to do good works. Isn't that incredible? Grace gives. Love gives. Love gives. Some years ago, I read a book by a guy called David Seamond, and he wrote a book called Healing Grace. And he said this, he's a Christian pastor, psychologist, and counselor, Christian. And he said this, in my years as a Christian leader and teacher, and in counseling people with broken hearts, he said, the brokenness that I find is an inability to receive, live in, and give grace away. Receive, live in, and give grace away. And in verse 10, we see this. Jesus Christ has prepared us to do good works. 
give grace away. Practice our position. This morning, are you wearing grave clothes or grace clothes? Practice the position of Christ. Give grace away. God is a generous God. We're going to take communion together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just say thank you this morning for your great mercy, your incredible love, that you've saved us, you've taken us from death, and you've brought us now into life, that you've given us incredible mercy. Your unmerited favor is upon us. It's no matter how bad we've been or how good we think we are. It's not based on any of that. It's just based on your amazing heart of love. The amazing thing is this. You cannot bear to see the sin in me, and yet you cannot bear to be without me, that you would send your one and only son to die in my place. You can't bear to see the sin in my life because you're so light and true and good. And yet you can't bear to live without me and us this morning. We are amazed by your grace, amazed by your love, that our hearts are just open to you this morning. Now no longer objects of wrath, but objects of love. And so this morning we take this communion, we take the bread and we take this cup. The bread is your body, Lord Jesus, broken for us. The cup representing your blood poured out on the cross. You are the living sacrifice that took my place so that I now may be free. And Father God, that you raised Jesus from the dead, you also raised me now to be seated in my heart, my mind and spirit in heavenly places. I pray that this morning we would have an understanding, I would have an understanding of where I'm positioned, my true identity, forgiven, loved, released, in Jesus' name I pray, amen.